Well, it's good to be to those of you online and in the house. You see the ushers have sermon sidekicks. You can take notes. If you like taking notes and there's some devotional material, just lift up your hand. They will get one of those in your hand. Well, we are today talking about and looking in Colossians chapter 2 that Christ is the spiritual victor, that Christ is victorious. And, and as we do this, I just want to say, it's fun to win stuff. Think about when you've won something. And I know some of you might be a little, you're a little sophisticated. You go, you know, I've really tempered down my competitive spirit, and it's not about, oh, you like to win. Just admit it. You, you think it's awesome when you win. I, I, I wondered for a while because we do our Colors of Community art show. And if there's any crowd that I think is, you know, sophisticated and got it all together, it's the arts crowd. Oh, they like to win stuff. Like they, they, they really, there's really a sense of, you know, they look all dignified when they receive their awards, but, but, but it matters, you know, where they place and, and, and all that. Um, can you remember the first time you won something that was, seemed like significant? The first time that on a team that I felt like I won something significant, I was high school, playing on the basketball team, 15 years old, and, and, and there's, there's like 20 seconds left in the game, and, and I just couldn't stop bouncing. Like, it was, it was a tournament. We won three games in a row, and I just was bouncing and bouncing and bouncing. I was the only one on the court bouncing. I think the other guys had won stuff. You know, it was the first time, I, and I think, what's up with Manus? You know, Andy was like, oh, this is phenomenal. This is great. We're winning something. This is great. And uh, I just, that, that, that aspect, I... When, so when Christ wins, who loses? Hmm. And if Christ wins, that means that you're intended to win as well. It's, it's, it's amazing. It ought to put a bounce and a spring in your step. You find in those team concepts that they're serving and sacrificing and community involved. And you just like all of those things, they well up and they just make you want to bounce. Well, here's where our teaching is going today. We're actually going to begin with oftentimes the places you end. We're going to begin with ap um, application. Like, well, what does this mean for me? You know, it's like sometimes we end with that. We're starting with that. The fact that Christ is the spiritual victor, we're going to, the, the scripture just walks it through that way. What does it mean for me? It's like, well, there's some really important things it, it means for you. Uh, but then about midway through, we're going to transition. And we're just going to hit the point that is, we're just going to talk about God. <laughs> we're just going to, and, 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 and in that, it, it does mean something. It, it is, when we learn about God, it is formational for our lives, but it's just a little more, it's just really good to know about God. It's really good to know that about God. So those are the, the places that we're going to go. So when Super Bowl quarterbacks win, they get asked this question, so what are you going to do now? going to Disneyland, and then they get to go to Disneyland. I remember the first time uh, a quarterback said that. It might have been Doug Williams, uh, I think, of the Washington football team years ago. And it's like, why did he say that? Oh, he actually went to Disneyland. It's amazing. So when Christ wins, it creates something for us that is incredibly exciting. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. We're going to wind up walking all the way through verse 15 eventually. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So, so we wind up 
once you're rooted and, and, and you're built up, there's just, there's a certain way that you're going to live. You're going to live not, huh, you're going to live in a relationship with God. You're not going to live in rebellion to God. There's, there's these two incredible contrasting ways that we can live, rebellion to God or relationship with God. Winners and losers wind up in one of those two camps. And when you wind up being rooted and built up, you just start to bounce because, because you, you, this is the spirit of thanksgiving. You've got a spirit of thanksgiving in your life. What's the opposite of a spirit of thanksgiving? Um, whining, <laughs> being real wimpy, being a greedy guess, uh, feeling like, you know, stuff's owed you, just like, ugh. You, like, how much do you like that in other people? Oh, you don't like that in other people, and you don't even like it in yourself. When you start doing that, when that stuff, that, that bitterness, that envious spirit starts to like, ugh, you start to choke on it in your own life. It's like when you have a spirit of thanksgiving, that winds up coming into your life. That's just a residual effect of the fact that Christ is victorious and you are rooted and you are built up in that. Um, so back a long time ago, I played basketball for Oklahoma Western University. And when we were winning a game at home, and we would wind up winning most of our home games. So most of the time, if it was a home game, we won't talk about the road, but most of the time in the home game, we won most of all those games. Well, the crowd would, back, um, so not, not a key fob, but you know, keys that jingled, and they would all take their keys out with about a minute left in the game, and they'd start jingling them, jingling, 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 and then they start to say, warm up the bus, warm up the bus, warm up the bus, warm up, and it would just, oh, be so grating on, on the opponents that, that were losing. If they were really confident, they would, they would bust that cheer out, you know, several minutes before the game was over. There, there, is, there is this distinction that the Word of God makes that sometimes we get a little uncomfortable with, with winners and losers. And, and we begin to see in verse 8, it's the setup to go, well, who is that? Who's on the losing side? See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition. And, and here we get to that losing side, the elemental spiritual forces of this world. This is the first of three references to that crowd right now, that that, that, that as opposed to Christ. So, so he's like, oh, you know, you, the bounce factor begins to happen again that you wind up being freed from bondage of hollow, captive, just ridiculous philosophies of life. Like, uh, the, the, and the world is filled with those kind of things. I'm gonna tell you another cheer uh, that happened back at Oklahoma Wesleyan University. You shouldn't tell people about this cheer. Um, so when the game was close to being over, there would be a fellow who sat up in the upper part of the stands and he'd come down with cowboy boots on, come down real confident-like. Marches, I mean, marches right onto the court, goes to the scores table, and it's this back and forth chant that is supposed to happen. And he points to, this, to the basketball, is this not the basketball? And the crowd chants, yes, this is the basketball. He gets right up in the referee's grill. Is this not the referee? Yes, this is the referee. He goes over to the opponents while they're huddled up. It's a timeout. 
Is this not the losing team? Yes, this is the losing team. We're in our huddle going, oh, my stars, oh, my goodness. And he comes over and says, is this not the winning team? Yes, this is the winning team. And then he summarizes just with a single word. Basketball, basketball, referee, referee, losing team, losing team, winning team. You know, that's like, I, we better go out. And when the coach said, don't you dare do that cheer if the game is all, you know, you know it, better be, it better be really tied up. Um, so I found out, I met a missionary friend. This is, if you know Sheldon and Denise Shaw, uh, a missionary friend, he wound up going to Russia, but he grew up in South Dakota. As a high school student, he caught one of those basketball games. He went back up into the Sioux Falls High School area, and he started doing that cheer at his high school basketball games for a whole year. And then the next year, he was banned. They wouldn't let him do that cheer anymore. They go, we're having none of that, buddy. Uh, Does it ever feel like you get banned from announcing the victory of Jesus in certain settings? It does, doesn't it? It feels like, eh, we're not going to be, we're not going to talk about that anymore. Um, There are people who have fallen for the deceptive philosophies of this world of spiritual forces. Like an example right before us, that life is a burden as opposed to life is a gift. That roughly 55% of the people in the great state of Michigan decided, let's make sure that we view life as a burden as opposed to life as a gift. It's a deceptive spiritual philosophy of this dark world. It's not the folks who cast the ballots because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the powers, the authorities, the principalities of this world. Um, and and I, I just want to say that, friends, if, if we ever thought that, that we were able to convey that life is a gift by legislating it, however the legislation goes, people still get wigged out by unplanned pregnancies. They get really wigged out by it. And we have always had the mandate from the Lord God Almighty and the opportunity to go have conversations with people. To have barbecues and to have cookouts with folks that have fallen deceptive to the philosophies of this world and go, oh, do you know how much God loves you? Do you know how much God is for you? Do you know that, that life is a gift? Do you know that God's faithfulness is going to show up? Do you know that this is going to give you kind of unexpected opportunities to see God at work in your life and through your life? And you have that opportunity to have conversations and barbecues and cookouts wide open. That's how the battle is going to be won anyway. One conversation at a time, one life at a time, one family at a time, and then it just ripples and moves and moves and moves. So if we ever thought that just a legality is going to excuse us from life-giving conversations, well then we don't have to worry about missing that. We have deep conviction to move towards life-giving conversations and uh, trusting and allowing God to work, um, that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to people. Let's read verse 9 and 10. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over 
every power and authority. Okay, second time we caught that every power and authority. We're going to get to them real specific. But the fullness of Christ. You get to, okay, you get, you get a spirit of thanksgiving. You, you also get the fact that, that you're free from bondage and, and you're going to get the, the fullness of God in your life and in your midst. When we're going to hear the relationship rebellion uh, contrast come through again and again and again. Uh, the rebellion of human beings is definitively outlined in the Word of God, specifically in Genesis 3. You see Adam and Eve, ah, I'm going to take... I'm going to take fruit. I'm going to make selfish grabs. I'm going to make rebellious choices. Uh, you see Cain's murderous execution of his brother Abel, and it exiles and separates them both from God. You see in Genesis chapter 11, when they construct the Tower of Babel, which is really this tower to the God of self-identity. They just want to make a God in and of themselves and just celebrate. It's like, boom, boom, boom. He's like, you see the rebellion of humankind definitively displayed in the Word of God. What we see inferred, and it flies under the radar, is the rebellion of the spiritual forces. It is there, but it's not particularly spelled out. But we begin to see through the Word of God that anytime something dies, it gets raised to new life again. Um, that is part of the battle and how God wins. I'm going to read... Uh, I love reading C.S. Lewis, uh, all kinds of his books. So this comes out of the book called The Great Divorce, which is about the separation of heaven and hell. And this is a look at an individual who has allowed lust to just be this primary voice in his life. And it's like this, this whispering lizard, like this lizard begins to speak for this individual instead of this individual for themselves oftentimes. And, and this individual just goes... I, I want to get rid of this. I, 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 want, I want the fullness of God, and I don't want this deceptive peace about me. And, and here's what we often think. We often think that our antics, our fallen desires are like, too, like God can't handle this junk in my life. Oh my goodness. It's not that God can't handle the junk in our life. The junk in our life is just too weak to even bring it before God. Like... Get that weak stuff out of here. That stuff doesn't belong here. It's so weak. Nothing, not even the best and noblest can go on as it is now. Nothing, not even what is lowest and most bestial will not be raised again if it submits to death. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Flesh and blood do not inherit the kingdom of God. Not because they're too rank, because they're too weak. What is a lizard compared to a, a stallion? Lust is a poor, weak, whimpering, whispering thing compared with the richness and energy of desire which will arise when lust has been killed. And in that story, when that little lizard gets squashed, like, oh, it begins to rise again. And it becomes this flying stallion, this, this winged horse. It's just... just when you experience the fullness of God, there are things that God will change and transform in your life that are ultimately beautiful, and you are one that wins as Christ is spiritually victorious. So 
So we get to win because we're in relationship with God. The Word of God says in verses 13 and 14, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us and has taken it away, nailing it on the cross. If, if you happen to be with us a few Sundays ago, when we talked about the goats and the Day of Atonement, there's Day of Atonement conversation all over that. The canceling of debt, the taking away of sin, all of those things, child of God, belong to you when you participate in the life of Christ. It is this beautiful thing that, that God wants you to win. God intends for you to win because he wins. Who loses then? Is this not the losing team? Yeah. There is a losing team. Verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, third time this is mentioned, he made a public spectacle of them, loser, triumphing over them at the cross. Not shy about declaring who wins and who loses in the word of God. It is these elemental spiritual forces that are in rebellion to God Mentioned in verse 8, verse 10, verse 15. So, so we're going to have, for about 10-ish minutes, a spiritual warfare conversation. Sound cool? Uh, so now, now, now here's what happens a lot of times in the family of God when we talk about uh, evil spirits. Some of us just go, ah, that's just weird, and we don't pay attention to it. And it's like the Goldilocks thing. We were just too cold with it. Like, oh, I'm not going to mess with that. Others of us get far too interested. <laughs> it just, we just like try to stoke this up and find out what's there. And, and at some point in time, this is why the Word of God, I want to tell you, the Word of God says just the right amount on this. Not too little and not too much. We're not to go overboard on this, but we're also not supposed to dismiss it. It is real. Um, so let's talk about God now. Here's the point we're going to talk about God. Let's talk about God. And when we go to the Old Testament, Hebrew words for God. The very first one that's used is Elohim. It is Elohim. And, and with the L, it's the strong. It's, but it is a nondescript, very generic term for God, Elohim. In fact, what it means is strong spiritual being. In the beginning, Elohim created and, and you get this Elohim that creates. Now, in their mindset, there might be lots of different Elohim, but they're looking at going, oh, that is one powerful Elohim. There's no Elohim like that Elohim. And then a little later in the Word of God, oh, it's Yahweh, specifically Yahweh, the Elohim. So let's look in Exodus chapter 20, when Moses is receiving what we often call the Ten Commandments, but I think it's better known as the Ten Words of Life uh, in, in How to Live. I am Yahweh, your God. And when Elohim and Yahweh get put together, it gets translated, the Lord God, the Lord God Almighty. That's when you see those two words together, which often happens. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Familiar terminology. You shall have no other, the word uses Elohim. You shall have no other gods, is how we read it, before me or in front of my face. What do we need to know about God? First is this. God is the supreme being. <laughs> God is the creator. God is supreme. Now, yes, there are other spiritual powers and other spiritual authorities 
And with that word authority, you, you know that, that, that there are authorities. It's not that there's not, but, but there is no rival to God's role as the supreme being. At least five times. I, I, I went and found five. There might be more, but five's just plenty uh, to give example. It even appears in, in the Old Testament, it talks about God being surrounded by these other spiritual powers and authorities that are thus in and of themselves created beings. But it's like God uses them like a staff team. Like, ooh, God's got them. So in, oh, you, you'll remember probably Job chapter one. In Job chapter one, God is in the heavens and the angels come around and they have these conversations. And lo and behold, seems odd, Satan shows up. Satan, where you been? I've been walking around the earth here and there and let me accuse Job for a little while. All right, he's like, and that happens a couple of times and it feels kind of odd, but it's not the only time that we see that in the word of God. In 1 Kings chapter 22, they're figuring out God is surrounded by the angelic host. We gotta do something about Ahab. Ahab's off his rocker. And, and one of the angels says, well, I know what I'll do. We'll, we'll just kind of trick him to go over here. And God says, that plan's going to work. You just, you go for it and you do that. Uh, in Psalms, Psalm 89, uh, it, it references the council of the holy ones that are around God. And it even references like the starry host being that council. Um, they would have viewed, wow, you know, stars like angelic beings. Deuteronomy, two times. Uh, in Deuteronomy 32, it looks like, he says, like, God has appointed the angelic beings to oversee the nations, that God has put them in control of nations. Uh, there's, there's some other depth to that. Um, and then in Deuteronomy 4, talking about, again, Elohim, don't, there's, there's these really strong Elohim, don't go worship those other, th th that staff, that, that group that surrounds God. Now, even, even today, when we view, is somebody important, it would be like, well, do they have a staff team? You know, that kind of thing. And like, how, how kicking awesome is their staff team? And it's like, God's got a kicking awesome staff. To like, no, no other, but, but there's nobody like God. There's these other spiritual forces. Um, and they fall into two camps. Go, let's go New Testament. Angels and demons. Uh, Angelos. Messenger. That is, a, that is a spirit being that serves God. Demon, demoniac, actually means demi-God or lesser God. It is a spirit in rebellion to God. It is a rebellious spiritual being. It just seemed like there's some kind, there's something that went on in the spiritual realm that we are not fully aware of, but in the same way, they tried to grab the authority of this world from God. When Jesus is on the planet, it seems like these demoniac, these lesser gods just surface and get active. There's something about Jesus walking around as God incarnate. There's the Son of God! What? And it's just like, woof. They all come out of the woodwork. Second, you know this. You know that God's victorious through the cross, but that's what the Word of God says. Let's just point it out. God's victorious through the cross. That's how it, it, it was. It's a real stumper, you know, in regards like the rebellious spiritual beings didn't see that coming. And, and in the book of Hebrews, it says angels even long to look into these things. God did not die for the angels. It, I don't know what God did in regards to the spirit realm, but God died for fallen 
humanity. God, God loves you. And we are not bound to lesser Elohim. We are bound to Christ. Um, so, in Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to hit this place that, that's really important in our lives that talks about putting on spiritual armor in the battle. Okay, Christ is victorious, but we need to put on spiritual armor. And of the armor, the piece that we tend to go to the most in reference is the shield of faith that is going to extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. Well, what might the fiery darts of the evil one be? Let's build on this for a moment. In Ephesians chapter 4, it's all about unity in the body of Christ. It's all about that we're one in Christ and we're unified and this is, ah! And then in Ephesians chapter 5, it breaks apart and looks at some really difficult natural relational dynamics like generational divide, um, social status divide, uh, national kind of divides that we might have. They would reference Jewish people and, and Greek people, which also refers to political issues as well. And then we get the spiritual armor. So what in the world is a fiery dart of the enemy. Friends, it is the things that would prejudice us, the things that would disunify us as family of God. Like getting upset that somebody didn't vote a straight party ticket like you would have wanted them to have voted. That kind of thing is a lesser God. Doesn't mean it's not a good thing how you think politically, but it never, oh, friends, it does not take Jesus off the throne. It, it does not do that. If, if, if I may, uh, of the disciples, they all had their minds blown that Jesus didn't kick out the Romans. They, uh, that, that Jesus didn't do their political favors. Blew all their minds. But one disciple in particular couldn't get over it. By the name of Judas, the reason he did that 30 pieces of silver exchange to have Christ be confronted by Roman soldiers, it deeply appears that he thought that was the push Jesus needed to really get the Romans out of control. That's how he was cast in his ballot. The very first Christian nationalist who didn't get it was Judas himself. And friends, for any, the separation of the family of God being divided over how somebody might have voted on one party ticket or another party ticket, is that is not the hill to die on. The unification that, that we, we have. When we wind up declaring that Christ is the one that is our conversation point and is our rallying cry, and if somebody says that's not taking a stand, that is hogwash. That that is people's lives are going to be changed when they come to Jesus Christ. Their lives are not going to be changed necessarily by who's in some type of political office. And the disunity in the body of Christ, and when any believer winds up saying, I can't have fellowship with you because you didn't vote how I like you to vote, it is, that, that's a fiery dart. Let's get the shield of faith up. It's, it's a, Christ has won. Don't act like the Lord God has lost anything. Third, God's on the throne. I'm going to tell you about 
It's about the unity piece. I want to tell you about my friend Steve. My friend Steve from Wisconsin. Uh, we have nothing in common. I got to be his pastor. He was, he's just utterly brilliant. He wound up putting uh, tech, uh, interactive technology together all the way back in the 1990s so medical people could learn how to operate properly without operating on a real person. And he's this trend-setting, amazing figure. So he goes, Steve, what do you do at work today? He goes, you'll never understand what I did at work. You know, we had nothing to talk about. Hey, let's talk about sports. We're in Packerley. He didn't want to talk about sports. We had, we had nothing in common. Um, I learned so much from him. Uh, there was one time I wanted to do this. Hey, let's send the youth to camp. We need to raise $500 in scholarships. We're going to send them out with these little coupon books through the neighborhoods. He goes, why, why are we sending the, the youth out with coupon books to go to camp? You know, if we're going to go to the neighborhoods, maybe we ought to invite them to Christmas or Easter or share the gospel, not do a gimmick. What, and what do you want? It's like, oh, he goes, I'll give you $500 not to do that. I'll, I'll just give you, I'll just send all the kids to camp. Steve was awesome. Blame him if we take too many special offerings. He got me on that. Um, we had nothing in common except Christ. Oh, yeah, you know, I don't think we voted the same way either. Now that I think about it, we didn't vote the same way. Um, we could talk for hours about the goodness of God. We could talk for hours about the depth and meaning of what, what a hymn was about. We could, talk, we could talk about how church families were called to impact regions and, and cultures and households. But we had nothing in common. <sighs> because Christ is on the throne. Who's on the throne of your life? Here's the invitation. If, if, if in some way the Holy Spirit has said there is some lesser God on your throne, time to give him the boot and the rightful one goes to their place. Lord God Almighty, forgive me. I want to follow you. You've won through the cross. You've won through the empty tomb. And just let God be in process. Just let God be in step with you. Would you stand and, and rise to your feet? Arise in spirit as you may. And here's the challenge. Uh, we're, oh, we're going to sing our prayer, by the way. It can be sung over you. You can receive it or you can join in and you can lend the fact that God is on the throne in your life. But there should not be a person that exits this space without Jesus Christ central in your life. And as you begin to bounce... You get a spirit of thanksgiving. There's freedom from bondage, and there is a fullness that God has for you, child of God. Let's pray.